going to have a bit of fun today. It's, we're talking about a multi-generational church. And um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ed, and I have the joy of working with um, some of the young guys in our church, um, kind of 11 to 18-year-olds. And you might have noticed today we have a, a bit of an outing to celebrate the end of the year. And it's been a, a tough year, hasn't it, for, for all of us. And I think we all have um, compassion for each other, uh, but also we think about our young people. And what I want to talk about today is about our culture, uh, our culture, what has formed us. And uh, as we think about our culture, as we think about the things that have shaped us as people, um, I'm going to ask you a few questions, and maybe this is just a bit of fun to start off with, but um, I'm going to ask you to stand up, because we have to do social distancing and stuff. I'm going to ask you to stand up if this is true for you, okay? If this is true for you, would you just stand up where you are? So if you have ever witnessed England in a final of a major football tournament, please stand up. All of you should, because we were in a major football tournament final last year, uh, last week. Uh, sit back down. Stand up. I don't want to embarrass anybody here. Stand up if you ever seen England win a major final uh, in your lifetime. Stand up if you were around at that time. Way, okay, way. All the people born before 1966. Wonderful. Okay, everyone sit down. Stand up if you have ever owned in your family a black and white TV. Woo! Black and white, what is that? Uh, sit down, sit down, sit down. Okay, stand up if flares, bell bottoms, or wide collars were ever a conscious fashion choice. <laughs> Some of you are uh, just being uh, conservative. Sit down, sit down, sit down. Okay. okay, this is one of my generation. Stand up if you ever had an ICQ, MSN, or MySpace account. What? A what? So this was like the dawn of the internet, um, 1990-ish. Okay, sit down, sit down, sit down. Okay, last one. Stand up if you have never known life without the internet. If you have never known life without the internet. As in you were born. No, you've known life without the internet. Sorry, that was maybe a bit triptych. Basically, everyone who's basically lived with the, pro the idea that the internet has been just there. I grew up um, in the 80s. I was born in 1982. Uh, I grew up here in the UK, and um, life was great. As in my parents, um, my mum became a Christian when I was around five or six years old, and she took us to church to St. Mark's, which is a lovely parish church just on the other side of the A414. And um, I, I can stand here and say that I'm a child of someone who's been brought up in a Christian family. My grandma in Malaysia probably was one of the first people to become a Christian in our whole kind of generational culture. And that was amazing uh, how she, her influence, my grandma, influenced my mum, and how my mum's influence has influenced me and my parents and my dad and my children now. Um, so I've grown up in a, a Christian culture, you could say. Um, but as we talk about family matters, and as Ant rightly said this morning, we all have grown up in different uh, cultures, whether that's your ethnicity, and we talked about that a few weeks ago, or whether you've moved country. Um, some of you uh, were born in like South Africa, and you've moved over here, or you've, you've grew up in Asia, and you've come over here. And all of these things have shaped us and have influenced how we see the world. 
And a word to describe it is our kind of our worldview. And if we think about our current generation and about the things that you guys experience now, we are all uh, in a culture that is, whether you believe it or not, is influencing your thinking, influencing how you see um, certain topics or issues or the way you communicate. All of these things, we are heavily, and I'm going to use this word carefully, we're heavily influenced by the society and culture that we are, were brought up in and are being brought in now. And it's funny, isn't it? Because whenever I talk about culture, whenever I think about culture, it's something that is just there. It's something that is just present. Um, if you think about it, it's something that, whether you know or not, it's influencing you. Um, culture doesn't ask you if it's allowed to do that. Culture doesn't ask you, uh, and really, we don't notice it, and we don't realize it, that our opinions, um, our values, our identity, all of these things that make who we are, are things that are being formed and shaped by our culture. Tim Keller said it this way. Um, he's, a, he's a preacher, American preacher. He says, we relate to identity formation the way that a fish would relate to water. If you ask a fish to tell you something about water, the fish will say, what is water? It's obvious. It surrounds them. Uh, it's something that they don't even know it's there. So when we're thinking about multi-generational churches, a church that involves people from babies, young people, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, retired, you know, the whole scope of how we are as a community right now, across the generations, we have to realize that our culture, where we've been brought up, has shaped us. And I've got a little bit just an illustration from my friend Wayne, who works for the London City Mission. Uh, and it's just, you might have heard some of these terminologies before about different generations. Maybe there's a little bit of a slide coming up in there. Uh, it's a bit tight, sorry, a bit small. But um, please don't memorize this. I'm not going to test you. Um, but it's just there to point out a few things that, starting from the, your right to the left, these are kind of the way in which um, sociologists have tried to surmise or generalize about the way in which our cultures, our different generations, have been formed. And you can see just on the left, you know, people who were born between uh, the 40s and 60s, uh, gen, uh, boomers, um, Gen X between 60s and 70s, nearly 80s. I'm kind of a Gen X to Gen Y millennials uh, if I'm born 82. And then there's Gen Z, which is current, current kind of culture which we live in. And all of these things, all of the things in this listed down, help us just to understand a little bit about what has formed us. Um, yeah, the things that we watch, media, has now plays a massive role, doesn't it, in terms of what we view and what we take in as a, as a, as a community, as a culture, compared to what it was in the 40s. Um, I love this one. What, <laughs> what, what is our worst fear? That's a really good question, isn't it? What has our culture cultivated us in terms of understanding um, our fears, our anxiety? Um, the boomers, it says here, change. <laughs> Gen X, being conflated with baby boomers, being identified with them. Um, Gen Y, being not able to afford a home. You know what? That's really true for a lot of us, isn't it? Um, worst fears for the Gen Z, world burning or flooding, or both. And I think we recognize, when we see commentary like this, we can obviously generalize and put people in boxes and trying to explain how people are. But I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to put you in a box. I just want you to be aware 
especially for many of us, that people who grew up post-war have a very, very different outlook. Um, our family likes to watch, um, well, my wife likes to watch um, Call the Midwife, and I sometimes get sucked in on a Sunday evening. And it's interesting, because it's, like it's been like 10 series or something, and they started off just post-war about you know, midwifery in popular East London, actually where I used to live when I was in London. And it talks about you know, the things that they, they were influencing their culture at the time. Um, and then there's things like, you know, the medicine improves and social care and welfare. And it's wonderful to see kind of the progression of society. But at the same time, you think about like the post-war people, what they went through, what they experienced, survival instincts, if I could put it in a very simple term. And now what they see the world, and we, we I grew up in a world of privilege and opportunity. And now in my children, they grew up in a world which is, some people call it the digital age, where everything is uh, on-demand, HD, um, present, um, non-stop. And we just have to recognize and understand that we all were shaped. And this then influences the big questions that we're going to be asking ourselves as a church. What is your view of identity, sexuality, the use of your time, work ethic, <laughs> truth? Is there such a thing as truth anymore? how we communicate. You know, you walk down the street and you, people used to call each other or used to call each other on the phone and now we just text. The, the speed of texting is like, you know, the way we communicate nowadays is so different to how it's moved throughout generations. We just need to be aware of that. And what I want to say to you this morning is that it's easy to retreat into your culture. It's easy to retreat into the things that are familiar to you the people who are like you, the people who I know and, and um, have been shaped in the same way, have the same worldview. And it's hard and it takes effort, energy to step out of your worldview and step into someone else and engage with them. Because they're different. They will be different. There will be similarities, but there are ultimately going to be differences that we have to choose to engage with. And that's where we want us to be. We don't want to be people who retreat into our culture or our, our generations. We want people who step out into other cultures, other generations, and invite others in. We need that perspective as a church if we're going to address the hard questions that the culture today is asking us. Okay? This is my first point. Let me just take you through um, the Bible quickly, just about how the Bible speaks about generations. And do this very quickly, but from the Old Testament through to the New Testament, the church and the Bible has always spoke, spoken about generations. From the beginning, when God um, created the heavens and the earth, and he created human beings, he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. In the heart of God was always a fact that there would be offspring, and they would choose to follow him. After the fall, when uh, humanity sins and falls away from God, what happens? God chooses Abraham. He chooses Abraham, a person of no significance, in some outback country somewhere. And he chooses, I says, I'm going to choose you, and you're going to be the father of nations. He chooses a person and chooses them again, a people and their children and their children and their children to be a blessing to the earth. We go to Moses, and we hear when God calls Moses, he says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, three generations. That's how God identifies himself to Moses. 
in Deuteronomy, when there's the giving of the law, when God says to his people, he's rescued them out of Egypt, he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, but not just yours. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You will talk about them when you sit in your houses, when you walk on the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Again, God's a God of generations. He wants to see who he is passed down to sons, to daughters, to their sons, to their daughters, generation upon generation. But we also see the failure and the destruction of different generations. Um, anybody enjoy reading the book of Judges, Kings, Chronicles? Um, it's a book where it talks very quickly, as in it covers like 20 generations in about, uh, you know, one page. It just says, this king or this judge walked with the Lord. And then it goes to the next paragraph. His son didn't walk with the Lord. And destruction came. And then another revival. Then this, king, this son walked with the Lord. And then their son didn't walk with the Lord. And there's this whole cycle. And the biblical commentary calls it cycles of apostasy. It's this continuous cycle of people being faithful, one generation. The next generation didn't quite get it right. And then the next generation kind of revival. And then it's this whole cycle of how God sees faithfulness and rejection of his, of his goodness. Then we get to the New Testament. And then there's Jesus. How does Jesus see generations? Firstly, he introduces us to his father. He introduces us to God the Father as his father, but also ours. Isn't that an amazing thing that God speaks about family in this way? God doesn't introduce himself as just Lord or a king. He calls us and invites us to call him Father. And this is how Jesus treats children. In a world, in a Greco-Roman world, where children had no value, um, a few weeks ago, didn't we, there, was, there was a cry from this pulpit to talk about abortion and what the UK, some of the UK MPs were trying to force through Parliament in terms of abortion and our views. And I'm not sure what your view is, but Jesus' view is that every child is valuable, unborn or born. And when we talk about what happened in the Greco-Roman world, that abortion, I don't think they created the world, it was just normal. It wasn't the debate. Children were not classed as being valued as much as an adult. And when we talk about how Jesus approached children, he says this um, in Mark 10, let the children come to me, don't hinder them. And Jesus took them in his arms and blessed them and laid his hands on them. Can we just do something this morning? If you are next to or around a person, a child, who's younger than you, would you just stretch out a hand and do what Jesus did? Maybe you're on your own, but let's just make this exercise. Let's just do this. Let's just reach out our hands and say, he took them out and blessed them and laid his hands on them. Why don't we just do that now? To your, if you're a parent next to your child, just reach out and bless them. Say, God bless you. And if there's kids around you, just reach out hands and say, God bless you. Jesus is for each one of these little ones as well. He is precious. You are precious. Each one of you young people here, you children, Jesus Christ reaches out and says, bless you. I want to bless you. And we, followers of Jesus, are called to do the same thing, 
Maybe that's formally, if you are like a Sunday school teacher or a parent. Maybe it's informally, when they walk through the doors each Sunday, you have an opportunity to bless a child through your attitude, through your approach to them, through the way in which you choose to identify them and make them value. Isn't that an amazing thing we can do as a community? Positive changes that we can put in place. What else happens in the Bible? In the book of Acts, when the church is formed, um, how, are, how, how does the Holy Spirit act? It says this, and Peter's preaching in the first, almost the first sermon of the church. It says, he quotes from the prophet Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all people. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see, it will dream dreams. It's not special people, or if you suddenly hit 25 or 30, you suddenly get the Holy Spirit. Every child, every person, age, young and old, has the ability and the, and the promise, really, to receive the Holy Spirit and to know God as his Father and to know Jesus as their Savior. That's what a generational church is, where we give opportunities to every single generation to hear and respond and receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And we will continue to do that as this church, both through formal ways, through our classes and youth groups and Sunday school, uh, and through you know, age-related type activities. But also, I want to encourage you, not, don't just define our church ministry and our children's ministry and our generational ministries as those things alone. You each have a part to play in just welcoming children, in reaching out to those who are different and outside of your generational profile, and to build relationships in those ways. 1 Timothy 5 says this, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Wow, okay. I am to view people who are older than me like fathers. Treat young men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters with absolute purity. That's a real call. It's real difficult, isn't it? I'm easily going to just hang out with people my age, my life stage. It's easy to do that. But I can choose today to reach out and step out and gain and give to a generation outside of my own. And what is it that we want to give? What is it that every generation needs? And this is where I want to just focus my, my, my time and attention, really, and our attention for the next couple of minutes. I want to look at the book of Acts, and it seems like every one of our sermons in this current series has been in Acts 2. Um, John's series and Michael's and everyone else's has gone through this whole, um, this whole uh, kind of laying foundations, and we've all ended up at the book of Acts somehow, because that's where the church started. This is, I think, where we see most clearly what God's heart is for the church. And as we look at Acts 2, 38, if you want to get your Bibles, um, Peter has preached this amazing sermon on the day of Pentecost. He's called people all around them who are in Jerusalem to come and to hear the good news of Jesus. And um, it's really important as we think, look at this passage to realize that there isn't just one generation or you might think about your generation and you might think of the other generations. And you might say, my generation is the one which was, you know, the Christian generation. Um, and you might think of today's generation and all the upheaval and everything that's going on, you might just look at, and I don't know about you, this is what I've done, I'm, I'm sure some of us have. We've looked at the next generation and gone, oh my goodness, I can't believe 
that they're questioning things about sexuality. I can't believe they're talking about abortion. I can't believe that they're struggling with this and that and this. And often we can often judge a generation outside of ours with being stuck, too progressive, um, unfaithful, unchristian. And we often, I don't know about you, but if we think deeply about it, how we view other generations affects our view and our love for them. Um, I don't know about you, but I've often heard um, some people older than me lament about uh, the difficulties of this generation, our current generation, and what they go through. Um, and they might think, no, oh, back in the day, wasn't it wonderful how everyone thought about the same thing about the Bible? Or wasn't it wonderful how we used to all pray together and come, you know? And, and we lament about the current generation and, and what they're not compared to ours. Does that make sense? Yeah? But the fact is that it's always been our human condition, no matter what generation we are in, is that we need the good news of Jesus. Sometime, I read this, I heard this, um, I think it was Al Mola, uh, president of um, the Gospel Coalition, who said this once. He said, one generation believes the gospel, one generation assumes the gospel, the next generation forgets the gospel. And every single, and what that means is that we believe that, you know, our generation has been faithful, and we fail then to see that the next generation also needs to hear the gospel to respond to it and have it as their own. And if that generation doesn't, the next generation, you know, what do they have to model themselves on? What do they, have, what do they see? They see it a void or worldliness, and they lose the beauty of Christ. So when Peter preaches in Acts 2, he says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is verse 39. For the promise is for you, and for who? Your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Verse 40, and many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. It is not just this generation, our present generation, our children, who need to hear and understand the gospel. It is every single generation. Every single generation, the Bible says here, is crooked and needs salvation. You might be thinking about the people that you know who you grew up with now. Um, You might have grown up in a wonderful church and things, but there are people in your generation who have not known and received the Lord. And they need to hear it as well as our young people as well. Throughout every generation, the Bible has called out repentance, has called out the need for grace, has called out the need to receive Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and to receive the Holy Spirit. And I love the promise that it gives here. This is for you and your children, everyone whom the Lord himself calls to himself. And that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Like what my, when I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking, okay, what can I do? What is kind of the 10 steps I can give every single Christian parent here to make sure that their child becomes a Christian or just follows the Lord? And I think about this myself, about my children. I have two girls. Um, and, and there isn't a magic formula. If they attend Sunday school through to year, they're 11 years old and they suddenly they join Fuse and they're faithful and they play on the band and then they play violin and then they go to university and they join the Christian Union. Um, I pray that during that process that this would happen, the promise of God, that God would call them to himself. 
but it's not within my power or Anne's power or Helen's power or the youth worker's power or Rachel Kaguri's power to do that. It is the gift of God to give salvation. And you know what? He's willing. He's willing and gracious and kind, and he wants all men to know that he is the Lord's Savior. But we don't do it through our own efforts. We can put in practices. We can slay out a foundation for our children and our next generation. But we rely and fall at the mercy of God to bring salvation to our next generation. We don't save people. It is the gift of God. Salvation belongs to our God. He is Hosanna, the Lord who saves. But even after that, even if I put my confidence in God's faithfulness that he will rescue and save this next generation, I also have to think about what can I do as a dad, as a husband, as a person in this society today. What has God called me to do? What's called each one of us to do? And I think part of understanding our current culture, and I hope this is helpful. I don't want this to be a you must do this kind of law list of things that you must do, but I want us to gain a bit of understanding this morning about how we can choose to reach out and step out into our culture. If you think about today's culture, we, we see it as a post-Christian culture. That's what a lot of Christian commentators have said. It's post-Christian, which basically means that Christianity is no longer the center of society's makeup and belief system. And it's sad, isn't it? We kind of think about how the church was, everyone's moral, I guess, moral alignment was based on, you know, biblical truth and understanding. And now we often see quite a deviation from that, don't we? We see about questioning of um, many aspects of what we would have thought in my generation would just be the norm. Um, This is just the center line in which, you know, everyone's on the same page, but people aren't anymore. And I want to invite us just to think about what is the ocean, when we talk about that fish and water analogy, what is the ocean that we are currently swimming in? Because if we don't understand it, we don't choose to engage with it, it will just influence us and, I'm not going to say overwhelm us, but it will just, we'll just be swimming in it unknowingly and being pushed and pulled by its currents. And when we think about the ocean that we swim in today, we're in a society now which, um, where Bible, the pr- prayer, the church is much, very much sidelined. And this isn't the first time it's happened in society, in, in, in history. Society has often shifted from the church being center and then off-center. Um, the church almost being like the centerpiece of all that happened, and we call that sometimes revival. Um, but as we said at the beginning, every generation still needs to hear the gospel and respond to it. So let's not be fearful about this current generation. God is still on the throne. He is still Hosanna. He is still the Lord but we just need to identify and understand current society. The Bible, prayer, and church is no longer the number one priority on a Sunday. Or In England, it says these are some statistics from the Barna Group, which is a Christian group that just pulls together statistics and helps us to understand things. In England, 22% of adults and 27% of youth believe that Jesus is a mythical or fictional character rather than an actual historic figure. It's a hard starting point, isn't it, <laughs> to talk about Christianity? Um, Six out of ten adults in the U.S. believe that it is extreme, and I use that word carefully, it is extreme, to share your faith with someone in the hope that they may be converted. Sixty percent of adults believe that. Individualism, self-fulfillment, finding yourself by looking within yourself, 
fulfillment of life in pursuing of things that you most desire. The highest goal in life is to enjoy as much as possible. These are the hallmarks of how we as a society now have formed and are forming our identity. We're forming it through looking to ourselves, our own desires, our own longings. And this is the ocean that we now, as parents, as adults, as young people growing up, that this is the ocean that you are swimming in. And it's not a biblical view of what society is supposed to be. And if we're uncareful, if not careful, we are just going to coast along that, uh, that, that current. And we will find ourselves, just as I have found myself in times, thinking the same way. Choosing my own fulfillment over service. Um, choosing to find my joy not in Christ, but in the things that this world says I need. And I will run after. It affects our morality. It affects our values, our convictions. We become pacified to the society that we are in. So people, just be aware. Being neutral means that we're just being pushed and pulled by the currents of this society. But what we are supposed to do now as the church, what are we called to do now as a church? And I want to just, these aren't, again, these aren't rules. These are just three things that I felt that were just helpful for me. And I'm gaining these from um, Psalms 145. And I encourage you this week, if this has ringed any accord, look through the, 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 chapter, um, the Psalm 145. It's a beautiful chapter about generational faithfulness. And this section I just want to talk about, I have a vision. In, in this psalm, there's a vision of generational faithfulness. Psalms 145 verse 3 says this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works, I will meditate. And this is beautiful. This is David writing the psalm, but speaking of the next generation. He says, they, the next generation, they shall speak of your mighty and awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. As we reflect just on these simple verses in Psalms 145, we see David um, not just saying, I'm going to praise God, I'm going to enjoy him. He's thinking about the next generation. He's thinking about his sons and their sons. He's thinking about how they one day will speak of God's mighty acts. He's thinking about how they will declare his greatness. He's thinking about how they will pour forth his, and speak of his, the Lord's goodness and sing aloud of his righteousness. And we have to have this vision as a church that, yes, we enjoy God. Yes, we know him. But yes, the next generation, we pray, will also declare his glories and praises. It's easy to teach. I think this is where it hit me the most this week. It's easy just to say things about God to our children. It's easy to say, yeah, God is good. And it's easy to say, you must praise him, you must read your Bible. But do we show them the heart of Christ in our devotion? Do we portray more than just words, or do we actually show them in our personal practice, in our personal life, the beauty, the majesty, the wonder it's easy just to say things to our children and the next generation, isn't it? You should be like this. Do that. 
Maybe it's become more like me <laughs> unintentionally. But Psalms 145 calls us to personal, firstly, to personal devotion. Do you know the Lord? Are you enjoying Him? Are you enjoying Him? It's a good question. Am I satisfied in Him? Is the praise on my lips every day? I was thinking this week, do I sing enough at home? <laughs> my, parents, my kids will probably be like, don't sing, don't sing. But my point was, is the outflow of my life um, the goodness and the grace and the wonder of who Jesus is to me? Am I captivated by his kindness and his goodness? It's a good question to ask us, isn't it? Because when we think about what our generation sees, our children and those who are with us, they see more than just words. They hear more than just words. They see a life that loves Jesus or acts in a way that doesn't act to the priorities of this world. They see someone who chooses to sacrifice rather than gain more for themselves. They see that in new parents. And we are called to that personal devotion to the Lord, to obedience, to love him. But we're also, choose, we're also and I want to just, uh, as my second point here, called to share our stories with each other. And I love this because um, this doesn't happen like we're going to have story time now for one hour um, or we're going to have personal devotion every month now and kids, you've got to sit down and be quiet and listen to my stories. How Deuteronomy says is that we talk about the Lord in our rising, in our walking, going to school, coming back on the weekends, when we're in the car, you know, all of these ways in which we betray the Lord don't come just through a set time. They come through a continuous dialogue and choice to share the goodness and the grace of God in everyday life. And we have to get into, a, I think, what I must say is get into a habit, families, to, to share our stories, to share of the greatness and the wonder of God. Verse um, 8 to 9 of Psalms 145 says this, The Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good, and his mercy is over all that he has made. It's funny, when I think about how I grew up, my mom would always tell us stories about my grandma and how like, she prayed um, for us as, as, as a whole family. And then when I hear my mom, she always tells us when we go for lunch, she always lift these of these stories about you know how she was in China and she was baptizing people in a bathtub um, and and she lists these stories about how you know she would pray for us as children and all of these are little nuggets that were sometimes annoying because I kind of heard it 50 times already <laughs> but this is what I'm talking about the continuous gentle faithful dropping of the goodness and majesty and faithfulness of God. And we can do that as well. Think about it. Children, you have to be patient as well. Young people, you have to be patient as well. Because when we choose to talk about multigenerational faithfulness, we choose to hear others, each other. We choose to hear each other's stories. And speaking to maybe some of us who are parents and older, we have to be patient and ask the right questions of our younger generation too. This is my last point here. Don't be afraid of tough questions. Don't be afraid of tough questions. You might be really comfortable in your generation. Yep, I know this is right. This is what the Bible says, and it's all good. You're wrong. 
get with it. Or we can say, hmm, that's an interesting question. That really matters to you, doesn't it? Culture is really asking you those hard things about your life right now. Help me to understand what you're going through, and let's talk about it together. That's a very different attitude. Rather than retreating into our generation and being comfortable, we choose to step out and say, I want to understand what you're saying. Let's think through it together. Let's talk about it together. Let's work through it together and not choose to cut each other off and retreat. And church, as we think about the goodness of God, um, as we think about the tough questions that this, this culture is asking of us, let's not retreat. Let's step out. But let's unify ourselves around these three things. Jesus is good. He knows what is best. His word has authority and has truth. We want to lay ourselves in that and choose to listen to that. And his Holy Spirit is a gift to all of us that we can find wisdom and understanding and God's heart for our lives. I want to just pray for us because this isn't easy. <laughs> this isn't a 10-step uh, magic kind of self-help guide to bring generational faithfulness. This is a constant plodding of faithfulness and consistency. And when we get it wrong, we get it wrong. But God, give us mercy to continue getting on that journey and giving Christ to the next generation and to the generations and to the generations. So, Father, we want to just humble ourselves this morning. Lord, as in my own heart, as I think about how I grew up and each one of us, how we grew up, we want to just firstly confess uh, and repent for the things, Lord, that we have imposed on other people. And, Lord, help us, Lord, to work through that. Help us, Lord, to recognize that we all, every generation, needs Christ. Every generation needs to fall humbly at your feet and say, Lord, that you are the one which we will turn to. Jesus, give us opportunities as a church family to bless young people and the next generation, both in the church right now but outside. Lord, give us courage to face tough questions that come our way and to think of it, Lord, with the heart of love and compassion that you had for each us and what each one of us. And Lord, we thank you that it is in your gift and your power to bring generational faithfulness, that Christ would be proclaimed in this generation and the next, and the next, until you come again. I just want to, want to just pray also for every single parent here in this room. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give us as parents the joy of seeing uh, us celebrate you in our family life. Lord, I pray that there would be a joy, Lord, in sharing our stories there will be joy in hearing of the goodness and kindness of God and how he moves and how he's won our hearts. I pray, Lord, for every single person in this church also who's involved in children ministry. Pray for Rachel. Uh, pray for Becky. Pray, Lord, for every helper on a Sunday who chooses to give their hearts and their lives to um, bringing about Christ to next generation. I pray you would bless them abundantly this summer in their rest. Enrich them, Lord, with a fresh vision, Lord, 
of knowing you personally. Strengthen their hands, strengthen their arms, strengthen their minds. Bless their families, we pray. And I also pray, Lord God, for every single child, young person in this room. Lord, I just declare, Lord, just as the psalmist says, that they will uh, turn to you, that they will speak of your mighty works. They will declare your greatness, that they will pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and so sing aloud of your righteousness. Until you come again, Lord Jesus, we pray this. Amen.